every point of separation to get to you a greater love the only one the joy of my salvation I'm
you so much. I'm just so happy to be here with my brothers and sisters singing to you, learning about you, reading from your word. Pray that you'll bless our time together. Speak to us now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning, Dorb Hope. Happy Sunday. Somebody asked me how I was doing. I said, great. And they said, man, that's a church answer. Uh, that sounded like a, well, you know, it, it kind of is, but it's also, I think, a posture God calls us to, a, a, a place of thanksgiving in the middle of even what sometimes seems to be very difficult times. So when I encourage you um, uh, don't have a positive uh, outlook just for general sake. Do it because God is good, and he's good to us all the time. So a couple of quick announcements before Josh comes to share the word this morning. Um, we are currently, as today, doing three services, but several things have begun to shift. This is a fluid, uh, fluid time as to uh, what we do in this context of gathering together in a church building. Um, one of those is uh, the state guidance that came out this week uh, from Governor Brown. Uh, some have wondered, wait, does that mean we won't have services here? She specifically exempted uh, faith-based uh, churches uh, from this two-week stay-at-home uh, request, call. Uh, so we will be back here next Sunday. Uh, but it's also the holiday season. We're coming into Thanksgiving and Christmas it's always an interesting rhythmic time for us as, as a body. Um, and then as we've looked at the three gatherings we're currently doing, the 9, the 10.30, which is this one, uh, and the 12, the 12 o'clock has been inconsistent. Um, and so we have decided uh, from now to the end of the year to starting next week to not do the 12 o'clock. We'll reevaluate that as we... Uh, move into the Christmas season and following uh, to see where God, see what the current uh, events are like at that point in time. So just wanted you to know in case maybe you were thinking next week, hey, I'll shift gears and come to the 12. That won't be the case. But you can sign up for the 9 and the 1030 as you do now uh, this afternoon uh, for next week. So uh, look forward to seeing you there. Uh, housekeeping real quick, just the, the, the norm um, again, the downstairs is closed with one exception. Uh, during this service, we do have a preschool room open downstairs. So if kids need a place to you know, take a break, go down, run around, uh, the, the uh, service is still being streamed through a large uh, TV monitor with sound down there. So if you would want to take advantage of that for a season for a part of this, it's, it's there for you. Uh, but obviously, uh, as, as you would uh, use it. Uh, giving boxes straight, behind, straight through that door uh, in the rotunda, as is the ADA bathroom, which is in this corner over here. Um, and so with that, a, a quick message. You, you generally came through here. So you didn't look in the rotunda, but there's a large... Uh, a big barrel back there, and it's for Portland Rescue Mission, which is one of our missions partners, uh, one of our gospel partners here in the community, uh, and they are doing a warmth drive. That's not easy for a Texan to say, warmth. It's W-A-R-M-T-H, warmth. 
drive. What that means is uh, at this time of the year, moving into this time when a portion of our population really struggles with the elements, uh, they're in need of large blankets, men's jackets, other things. Uh, we, we will have the barrel back there over the next few weeks uh, to collect for that drive. So if you would like to be a part of that, encourage you to do that. Uh, and then finally, before I give you a brief financial update, we have been over the last couple of years uh, feeling compelled as leadership uh, and as the body uh, to really look at the issue of men's uh, spiritual or, or what's her, uh, sexual purity. <laughs> we want you to be spiritually pure too, but we want you to be set. We want our men to be sexually pure. We feel like there's an issue and it is a struggle for bodies across the world that men struggle in this way, in their thought lives, in their actions, uh, men that love Jesus and are still struggling. Uh, we have decided we need to do something about that. We've partnered with a group called Pure Desire, which is in Troutdale, uh, just happened to be. They're, they're nationally known uh, for their curriculum uh, to help in this way, and we started partnering with them um, again, about two years ago, in, in two forms. One, a 10-week study, uh, which is a video-based study where we get 20 to 25 guys together, and we spend uh, uh, one evening a week and go through and look at the video uh, and then break out into, into discussion groups uh, and work together uh, learning how we can combat, how we can uh, move to, spirit, to <laughs> sexual health. I don't know, whatever it is, the health stuff. Uh, so uh, that's one way. The other way is through a more intensive 30-week uh, program called the Seven Pillars. Um, both of these are going to be happening uh, right after the first of the year. Matt Bai is uh, going to be leading out in these. Uh, and you can go to the website and, and keep abreast. We don't have full details yet, but you can go to the website and get further details. Uh, man, I encourage you to do so. It has already blessed uh, dozens and I would say almost hundreds within our body. Uh, and we expect that the Lord is going to continue to use this as a tool for us. And then finally, up behind me, there should be a financial uh, slide pop up. If you're new to Door of Hope, we, it is part of our rhythm and our desire to be uh, full, in order to be fully transparent in every way with you as the body uh, in the area's finances. Uh, we, uh, first off, have an open door policy. Uh, this is my, one of my areas of responsibility as a pastor here. Uh, my door is open. Email me. You have any questions, I would love to sit down with you, uh, do this regularly. So, if you have questions that go beyond the 30,000-foot view we're fixing to see, uh, feel free uh, to holler at me. But quarterly, we will give you an update of where we're at. And if you look at this, again, uh, this has got more detail than I'm even going to go into. I'm going to look at two things, income and expenses. Um, and the reality is when you look at this, uh, the total income for nine months through September uh, was $961,000. Our budget for that period of time was $1,030,000. So we're behind by about $69,000. Uh, but to be honest, uh, in this time, uh, 
for us to be this close to budget with all that we've uh, had to struggle through as a body, uh, I look at as a miracle of God, and I'm thanking him for that and thanking you uh, for being such good stewards, um, for uh, giving sacrificially to help us keep the lights on and keep the bills paid in the middle of all of this. So thank you so much. Expenses, as you would expect, uh, we have spent less. We've spent 937000 as opposed to a budget of a million thirty, so we're ninety-three thousand uh, less in spending because our operational costs just aren't as much uh, in this stage. But the net effect is, for nine months in a very tough time, we were we're actually a, have a surplus of twenty-four thousand dollars for that nine month. So, if you appreciate this like I do, would you give the Lord a hand? Thank him so much for what he's done in, in our body. And again, I want to reiterate, we thank you because we know it's God working through you uh, that he provides uh, for this ministry. Cash, as you can see, um, we have $302,000 at the end of September in operating cash. That is better than what we try, our baseline that we try to achieve, which is two months worth of expenses which would be about $230,000. So uh, we're healthy in that way. I always give you a, a property snapshot to let you know the two buildings that we have. This one and our Fremont building, uh, we, ha we have very low amount of debt on property that has very high values. God's been very, uh, very uh, good to us to allow us to have these two great, old, uh, healthy buildings to be part of our worship. We are so, uh, so thankful that he's done that. And then finally, as Josh comes, uh, a lot of you ask, how about the Northeast? How about the Fremont Bunch? How are they doing? It's got to be tough. They just started right as COVID. I mean, first services, they got two services before we uh, shut down COVID. And the reality is that I would say that is the big miracle of God. That body has been self-sufficient since the second week they started. In the midst of this, they've grown. They've grown in, in monies coming in, in people engaging, very robust community group uh, life there. Uh, and uh, I've been in church planning and around church planning for quite a while, uh, and this is extremely abnormal. And you add on top all the, again, that we've had to, to wade through the waters. Uh, I can only look at that as a miracle of God. So I want to thank him for that as well. And with that, Josh is going to come and share the word with us. Thank you, Josh. It's good to have Josh here, even if he just quit working. So. Yeah. I stayed at my house last night, uh, our new house that we've been remodeling. But my family's in sweet home because the house is still under construction and I was finishing up the message this morning and I'm like I gotta get ready where are my clothes I have no idea where my clothes are well the pants I wore the last three days will suffice <laughs> I'm like where's a wash rag no idea and we have no hot water and we don't and our stove the gas isn't being turned on till tomorrow so I had a cup of cold Starbucks coffee left over from yesterday and uh, 
and a, and a clean work rag that I was able to wash my face with. It was great. I did have my toothbrush. I, I don't know. I'm, I kind of, I'm, I'm sort of enjoying the, the, the aesthetic. I feel like I'm a real working man. Uh, well, guys, it's great to see you. Um, I, I think we have a new president. That, should we just do everything with a question mark right now at the end of it? <laughs> I, what I can say without a question mark is that Jesus is on the throne, that he's in control. And uh, in a world of uncertainty, uh, nothing is more necessary right now than uh, us uh, encouraging one another toward an ever-deepening intimacy and commitment uh, to, you know, people ask, what does Jesus want from us? Uh, and it's, it, it's not so much what he wants from us, he just wants us. And the great discipline that is necessary for the Christian life is the discipline of, of aligning our lives in such a way that he has possession of us. We are his possession, but are we acting like it? I think that the disciplines of grace is, is the reorientation of one's life in which Christ once again has complete and total lordship over every arena of our existence. And so the discipline we're gonna be considering today is what I would call the discipline of seeking. And really this has to do with seeking God through his scriptures. I, I wanna just begin with a, a quote from Anselm, uh, one of the church fathers once pleaded, let me seek thee in longing let me long for thee in seeking. Let me find thee in love and love thee in finding. When we apply the word seeker, we often seem to assert sort of a modern understanding of that word to uh, apply to those that are outside of the faith. And you heard like the seeker sensitive movement and you know, seekers welcome. All believers should continually be perpetual seekers and perpetual finders, <laughs> that seeking in its, in its essence is to investigate, it's to inquire, it's to crave. And that is really the essence of what I call sacred romance. Um, the, as Chesterton put it, a sacred romance, and this was what the pursuit of God should be, is, is that which is familiar like home and at the same time in an adventure. Uh, and I think that's what true romance is, is there's, I, in how I uh, actually gauge even the health of, of intimacy in my marriage is, is how much of that reality is my wife a, a source of absolute comfort and familiarity and at the same time there's this unknowable ever possibility of growing deeper and discovering more nuances and and it's that excitement and adventure that keeps us at 20 keeps me at 23 years of marriage excited every time she comes into a room and I think that this is what it, it requires though to have that to maintain that kind of that kind of posture it requires a, a, an intentionality uh, that we have as believers uh, have to exercise but that intentionality of pursuing or seeking God, uh, don't worry, this isn't something we do in our own strength or our own devices, that every step we take toward God, God is always previous. 
in the words of Tozer. He's, always, he's already moved before us and behind us and around us, paving the way for it, and he has given us his spirit. And so these disciplines have to flow out of grace. But seeking is something that is essential. Tozer wrote in The Pursuit of God, to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. So how should we seek God? Well, I am gonna be working this morning from the assumption that you believe that the word of God is God's word. Uh, And if you want teachings on the authority of scripture and how the scripture is made, uh, years ago when Tim Mackey was on staff, we did like a six hour uh, study one Friday night on, the, on, on why we can trust the Bible. There are endless resources on the Bible project. Uh, I want to talk more about the discipline of working from, okay, we've come to the conclusion that the word of God is God's word. Why does it actually matter in our lives? And, and, and you know, if I have Jesus, why do I need to continue to read this book that I feel like I know pretty well, or maybe I don't know at all, but I'm not really seeing the value in it. I think this is a, an, an essential part of what it means to seek the living word, Jesus, through his written word. God has chosen to reveal his heart to humanity through a really large book. And if it's true, what the statistics are saying about increasing illiteracy in our nation and I think in the West and a rise of an entertainment culture and a diminishment in anything that takes time and patience. Uh, we, have to, we have to be aware of this. They say that the average college graduate doesn't read another book after graduation, like something like 70% of college graduates, that the average American reads below a third grade level. The good news is that the Bible actually most translations are at a third grade level, so we should be okay there. Uh, but but this, is, this is something that's really important. And I want to just begin with the question of why is seeking God through his word is non-negotiable? Let's put up this verse from Psalm 119. Um, and and th- these, these passages here, this is so powerful. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Notice that. By living according to your word, I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice that all of the language of the study of scripture is deeply connected to the relationship with the living God. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me to your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes. As one rejoices in great riches, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. Powerful passage. So I think right here shows us how important when we look at the scriptures, it's amazing how much the scripture proclaims its own authority uh, over our lives. But when we ask the question, why is this a non-negotiable? The first thing I would say is that it is God-breathed. And what I mean by that is that the books of the Bible come from God through the instruments of, of individuals, human beings who God used as they wrote under the inspiration of his Holy Spirit. So we always say that scripture is, 
is, uh, is human and divine. God used human instru instruments inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down God's thoughts about himself and his relationship with humanity. This is why we say that the Bible, you know, people are like, I wish there was more about angels. I wish there was more about the devil or this or that thing. It's like the primary focus of the scripture is God's continual pursuit of broken, rebellious human beings. Even when we talk about understanding God and his attributes, I always like to remind people, there is nothing that God says about himself that can be disconnected from his relationship with humanity. Everything he reveals about himself is in direct correspondence to his relationship with human beings. And because scripture is about God's pursuit of humanity and it gives us insight into the fact that we are created by God for God and that this is where our joy and our satisfaction comes from, but that this thing called sin has created a rebellion in the human heart that continues to play itself out. And we don't have to look too far to see that rebellion being played out right now by which humanity has decided to define for themselves how it is one should live and what it is that one should believe. And so beginning with this, this crucial point is that the scripture is non-negotiable because we as Christians can't know how to follow a God that we don't know and God has chosen to reveal himself to us and he has given us the means by which we can know him and it's not just the word alone we'll get into that a little bit later I always say it's the balance of word and spirit the word without the spirit is dead orthodoxy. The spirit without the word is, is dangerous mysticism. And what we need is a, is a mystic orthodoxy. Uh, what I mean by that is an orthodoxy that leads us into an intimate relationship with a living God by the power of the Holy Spirit. So 1 Timothy 3.16, what does it say? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's, it's what does it look like to be the ones who are declared righteous in Jesus? The scripture explains that to us. It's the very words of Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things shall be added to you. The scripture puts us into a place where we begin to discover what our priorities are. Luther himself said of the scripture being God breathed, he said, this is exactly as it is with God. His word is so much like himself that the Godhead is holy in it. Spoken like a true reformer. Uh, and he who has the word has the Godhead. And now, that may be a bit of a hyperbolic statement because I know lots of people that have the scriptures that, that have not discovered the Godhead. But I think what he's saying is essential that the revelation of who God is when we have been empowered by the spirit is in correspondence to our feeding upon this word of God. Second Peter 1.20 says, knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, it is the foundation of truth. In a time in which truth has been turned upside down in its head, where, where relativism has taken root uh, in, our, uh, in our academies, uh, our, our, our colleges, uh, it's taken root in our, in, in our entertainment, our culture, the idea that every person 
has the right to define what is right and wrong for themselves. Not only that, they can actually define what they are. We can't even any longer say what a thing is because a thing cannot be defined by what it is, but only by what it wants to be. But this is, this is truly like the logic of a Lewis Carroll novel. This is, this is logic with our feet firmly planted in midair. And it is hard to combat. This is why there is no healthy uh, dialogue happening between opposing ideas or parties. Uh, when we look at the political world, why is it so fueled with so much hatred and vitriol? Because people can't have conversations when everyone believes that they have the right to define for themselves what is right and wrong. There is no foundation. There's no basis of truth. And when there's no basis of truth, it creates a fundamental problem. For us, the scripture is the truth because the scripture points us to the one who is the embodiment of truth himself. Truth is not so much a body of information for us as believers, it is Jesus himself. But what does it say in Psalm 119 verse 160? The entirety of your word is truth. The world is like Pontius Pilate. What is truth? And he walks away before Jesus can even give him the answer. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We need truth. And we have a world that is battling around fiction. And, and, and this is something that we have to understand that if we hold to the truth of who Jesus is, Jesus says, count the cost. Because to follow him into this next era that we are moving into, I believe that the hostility toward anyone that pushes back against the, the mass voice, the powerful voice, even though I believe it's a minority that has this powerful voice, uh, in the age of tolerance. Uh, remember, those that are advocates of tolerance are intolerant of anyone that does not agree with their view of what, tolerant, what we should be tolerant of. Uh, and so if everyone can just define what they want around what is right and wrong, there is no is a Pandora's box that man's imagination to create evil is never ceases to amaze me. Uh, and the inability to ground things in any sort of reasonable way when there is no foundation of truth. We have the scripture, which third, why this is a non-negotiable, why we need to be men and women of the Bible feeding on the word of God is because it leads us to Jesus himself. Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. If we aren't meeting Jesus on the page, then there's, then our, our, our digging, maybe the scripture is dead for us because we're not looking for Christ in it. We're treating it like some sort of magic eight ball, hoping it'll give us some sort of advice for the day. No, the, the Bible is about meeting with the living Christ all of scripture points us toward the living word. The written word leads us to the, to, uh, the written word leads us to the living word. This is why it says in Hebrews one, God at various times and various ways has spoken to us through the prophets and through the scriptures. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in son. He's not saying that the scripture is no longer necessary. He's saying that the scripture finds its fulfillment 
and finds its full expression and meaning in the incarnation. Jesus is the final word of the Father. Everything that God has to say to us and continues to say to us, he has said and continues to say in his son. And his son tells us to be a people of the written word so that we can meet him, the living word. I think it's good to note too, the non-negotiability of scripture is that historically every revival, just a side note, every true revival uh, in its history has been driven by a return to the authority of scripture. Uh, I, I think about, I mean, even back to Nehemiah, when you look at Pentecost, uh, when you look at the Reformation, when you look at the Great Awakening in England through Wesley and Whitfield to the American revivals of, of Edwards and Finney and Moody, right up to the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s, they were all driven by a unbelievable awareness of God's presence, a conviction of sin, a, a, a meeting with Jesus and a belief that his word, the Bible, was the authority of, of, for human existence. So I, I've kind of noted that there are three approaches that people that fall under the category, that call themselves believers, uh, take to scripture. And the, the first approach I would argue is the right approach. Knowing the living word through the written word. Uh, by the way, there, I'm giving a lot of slides today and a lot of notes on this. And if you want these notes, I'm happy to email you my notes. So just email me, josh at doorofhopepdx.org, um, and I can send them to you. But the marks of a right approach, knowing the living word through the written word, it, it, I think it's, it, that mark is first a deepening dependence on an increasing love for Jesus himself. <laughs> I've often said that I don't know if I have many gifts uh, as, as a pastor, but I think the one compelling uh, aspect that, I've, that we're, I think God has blessed over the years at Door of Hope is that for all of my glitches, I really actually love Jesus. Like I really love him. And I think that that takes us a long way. <laughs> I think it's quite compelling uh, when you meet a person that truly loves Christ, who's, who, who knows Christ. And this is what I believe the scripture is meant to lead us into is a living relationship. As I said, an orthodox mysticism, if you will, uh, where we are coming into contact with the living Christ. A, a gentleness and a patience and an honesty toward one another. You cannot spend time in the scripture and not have it be like a plumb line from heaven that reveals the crookedness of the wall. You can't spend time in the Sermon on the Mount and walk away from that thinking, I am killing it right now. Uh, like you, 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 you can't read the, 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 the scriptures and, and, and how it reveals the brokenness of humanity. It makes us the ultimate pessimist and the ultimate optimist all at the same time. That we fully know how broken humanity is and we know that the fundamental problems of the world are not essentially social or political, but they are theological and spiritual. That we know that people are broken and that's what gives us graciousness toward them because we know how broken we ourselves are. I think that, that it should create a, a right approach to scripture as we come to the word to meet the living word, it will also create a, a compassionate longing 
to reach the lost because we see that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about a God who seeks broken humanity for himself. And we see that through the Bible, God does that seeking through his people. Uh, And we can't read the Bible and not be struck by the mission of Jesus. You can't know what the mission of Jesus is if you've never taken time to be in his word. I think it it creates a right approach to the scripture should create it, it like, a, like a light that shines in to the dark spaces in our own heart. It, cre- it reveals a, 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 the, the brokenness and it creates an, an increasing love of what is good and a hatred of what is evil. That we begin to move out of the perpetual gray that we live in. And we see that, yes, we live by grace, but grace doesn't mean that we are blind to brokenness. It means that God loves us in spite of that brokenness. Uh, It it creates an empowerment from the Holy Spirit. That's why I said we need both the word and the spirit. A right approach to scripture uh, is going to be driven by greater understanding, greater obedience, greater love, which is all part of being spirit-filled. But the marks of a wrong approach, and I see this often within the church, and it's sad, it's knowing the written word without having the living word. It's, and I'm not even saying that if you fall into this category that you're not saved. I think that it is absolutely possible Uh, as it says in 1 Corinthians 3, that there are people that are going to meet Jesus uh, and their works are going to be tested by fire and it says that their works will burn up and their souls will be saved, but they will be like ones who barely escape the flames. But I also think there's a lot of people that sit in pews that are deeply deceived, that do not have a saving knowledge of Jesus at all. And Jesus himself said, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and that in your name? saying they, they had the scriptures, they seem to have a working knowledge of the ethics of the kingdom, but what is Jesus' response to them? Away from me, I never what? Knew you. See how essential it is that our study of the word of God must lead to a right relationship with the living word? And, and I think that this, this is summed up in 2 Timothy 3, 7, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Charles Price, an uh, uh, English um, pastor, pastor of People's Church in Toronto, it used to be the dean of Cape and Ray. He had this great illustration of this kind of approach where there's a, a, a devotion to the scripture, but, but not a devotion to the living Christ. And he said, he, said it, it, he goes, having the Bible without having Jesus is like being a part of a, of a club for, you know, a car club that where everyone has the manual, but no one actually owns the car. And we gather on Tuesdays and we're like, let's flip it open to page 25 and take a look at those transmission schematics again. Uh, Never actually seen the transmission, but look at that. Uh, That's not a very exciting club. Nobody wants to be a a manual club. They They want to have manuals to the car that they're in a club around because they love that car. And I think that this is, it's kind of a silly illustration, but it actually paints it quite well that the, 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 the book, if it isn't leading to Jesus, is a dead book in our hands. Uh, in fact, it was uh, George MacDonald that said, nothing breeds arrogance quicker than a worship of the written word. Uh, and I think that this is what it creates. It's the produces spiritual snobbery. 
when, when you see that it is knowledge that is continuing to puff people up, and I have fallen into this trapping in the past where the intimacy with Jesus has waned, but my study has been voracious, and all of a sudden it became about what I knew rather than who I knew. Obsession with non-essentials. Have you met those? <laughs> I, I can think of that on, in multiple, multiple camps. Uh, I don't want to pick on any one camp, but I, I, I know when I first became a believer, I'll just use myself as the, as I, I kind of embraced Calvinism when I first got saved. I mean, I embraced it because like every young man uh, that comes to Christianity and discovers Calvinism, they really like it because it makes them feel super smart because they've got God figured out into a really neat little systematic package. But of course, like every good young Calvinist, I became obsessed not with Jesus uh, and not with the Holy Spirit, but with who was actually elect. Uh, and I would love to have debates about God's sovereignty and, you know, the futile thoughts of man's responsibility. And, and it was just like, all, and I remember the day that I was set in my place as I was talking with a missionary friend who wore a t-shirt around Seattle that just said, I really, really, really love Jesus, which is a really brave t-shirt to wear in Seattle. And I was like, I just remember like, oh my gosh. And I, I'm like, I, I remember asking him, I'm like, Scott, do you think that Jesus sits inside of, you think God sits inside of time or outside of time? And he goes, I don't care, man. I just love Jesus. And I want to help people love Jesus. And I'm like, dang it, that seems like maybe the right answer. <laughs> and, and it was through that, that the growth of coming into, into, into a real vibrant relationship with Christ, the more I walk with Jesus, the less I am comfortable adhering to any particular system because I think it makes our God way too small. Uh, I, I, not that we don't rely upon the great men and women thinkers that have gone before us, but, but we are to be defined not by non-essentials. We aren't, we aren't called to go around and try to figure out who's actually in and who's actually out. We're called to be witnesses to the Jesus that we know. And if we don't know him and just know a bunch about him, there's an emptiness that comes out of that uh, that is deeply problematic. I think it also creates an impatience with others, a hard heart, and if I could say it in a big head. Lewis writes about that in his book, The Abolition of Men. He said, their, their heads seem big because they have no chest. Uh, and I think that this is, this is uh, the wrong approach. Jesus said, unless you come to me like little children, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I think there needs to be this, this honest, childlike fascination uh, with how do I go deeper with Jesus uh, that's not driven by a rigidity of thinking that we know as much about God as God knows about himself. Uh, the marks of no approach, which is uh, to scripture, is something I've also seen among believers. And this is neither knowing the written word or really knowing the living word. And the, the issue with this is, is often the idea of like, I have Jesus, like, and it's all grace. And why do I, like, you know, it's legalism to tell me I need to read the Bible. And it's like, the legalism card can be thrown at us real, real fast. And it's, and it's, 
thrown around comfortably. And it, and it is true as a, as a community that is all about radical grace. I am deeply allergic uh, to any kind of ladder building in the church. We're not here to climb rungs, uh, improve our worth to God. We are here to, to move toward God from this incredible place of gratitude that on my worst day, Jesus is crazy about me. And he knows that everything I do, even in the power of the spirit is still mixture. But that doesn't mean that there's not growth. And it doesn't mean that there isn't movement. And it doesn't mean that there isn't discipline involved. And I think that, that people that, that have the, the no approach, what tends to happen, and I think 2 Timothy uh, 4, 3 and 4 says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own di- desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and will be turned aside to fables. How many Christians just buy into whatever new fad comes up in the church because they're bored with, you know, the gospel. That's old news. I got that when I got saved. We need, I want something new and exciting. Give me something, give me something new. Well, first of all, if the gospel isn't exciting to you every day, then you don't have a right understanding of the gospel. Uh, and secondly, the, the, the Christian life is not meant to be a daily mount of transfiguration. That happened once and then most of the life was lived in the valley. Uh, and so that kind of emotional feeling-based, dr- and I believe we should feel much. I am not opposed to feeling. God created us as feeling beings, but I want our feelings to be infused and inspired by the spirit of God. And the, the issue that I, I see often with the, kind of this spiritual fad is like, no approach to the scriptures, but in love with all the new things. Think about the fads that have come through the church in the last, what about, what about the, the cult of Enneagram? That's a, that's a good one. I mean, I'm, I'm all for personality tools, but I don't like it when the first per- thing first someone asks me is like, what number are you? I'm like, I'm a 10, according to my wife. <laughs> uh, but I think this, this idea, it's a, it's a personality test and people are like, this is the silver bullet to existence. Now I understand myself and everyone I meet. And I'm like, you know, Tim Smith and I were talking about it. Like the Enneagram symbol would be a pretty hardcore symbol to get tattooed because it kind of looks like a pentagram, but it's not totally. And if you like metal, that's cool. But I think that the, the problem is, is that it's, these things tend to replace the scripture, I go back to the purpose-driven life. It's a great tool, but when churches began to practice 40 days of purpose and the purpose-driven life is the thing found on the pulpit rather than the Bible, it's a problem. The prayer of Jabez, I don't remember Jesus saying, and when you pray, pray the prayer of Jabez. Uh, the, the, so these are, these are just examples of ways that we get sucked into like, this is the new hot thing that we're gonna talk about. And what happens when there isn't a, a reverence for the scripture in a meeting with the living Christ to it is that we give ourselves to these things that interest us and it often is a, is a, is a second rate aping of the world is what I would call it. And it's a, we don't need self-help. We need Christ's help by a spirit. And that produces spiritual anarchy, unsanctified imaginations, unbelief in the authority of scripture, which I've already seen. I've seen too many believers walk away from door of hope because they weren't anchored in the scripture and they've come to the conclusion that the scripture can't be trusted. You know, there's just a bunch of books written by men and we can't accept that. I just actually had someone direct message me that the other day. Uh, 
general immaturity and carnality, ineffective in kingdom work and prone to heresy. And I think there's a lot of overlap between the no approach and the wrong approach, obviously. But if we're all to agree that the primary way we are to actually know the living Christ is actually through the word, empowered by the spirit, what are the elements of seeking? And I would just list these out in closing. The first one is hearing. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's a really simple thing. I, I love to say that, that, that our confession is, a, we are to be a confessing church, that the word of God is powerful. And a way to learn the scripture, I'm actually a massive advocate of the rise of Audible. I mean, part of it kind of speaks to the fast paced nature of our culture where we want to take in more information than we actually have the ability to. And so we're looking for ways to do it in a faster and more efficient way. But we also do live in a, in a world that is moving at a faster rate. And I think that these can be tools that can be, that can be actually really helpful if they're done in balance with the rest of life. So when I'm studying a book of the Bible, when I'm gonna teach like a book like Romans, I try to read it every day for 30 days, start to finish in a row to get my head around it. I'll listen to it. I have a great audio version of it. I used to listen to Max McLean, but then his voice got a little dramatic for me. I found this new English guy that I've been listening to. I think his name is David Suckett. Uh, and I listen to different translations. But think about many of you came to faith through the hearing of the word of God preached. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by, how will they, how will they hear if there's no preacher to preach? And so there is a the power, Timothy, is told by Paul to give attention to reading. And that's not him reading alone, that's him reading the scripture to the church. That what, we, what do we gather around on Sunday is the, is the proclamation of the word of God. Uh, and, and the written word holds a, a, a massive uh, authority uh, in our church gatherings because what we do as community groups, what communion, worship, all those things are instructed to us through the word and they're all driven by the word as a framework by which we experience this relationship with God and with one another. And so hearing is an important aspect of it. Uh, it I think, uh, secondly, there's reading. And some of you will say, I'm not really a reader. It's hard for me to pay attention. Listen, you're looking at a guy that, that you know, barely made it out of school. And I, I think that this is, there, we, can, we can change. You can't say, well, I was born this way because you have been born again. If you've been born again, you have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gives you a whole new set of tools. And it's about learning how to do it in a way that works with your temperament. That's why I try not to ever be too prescriptive as a pastor because all of us are different. My wife does not study the Bible the way that I do. In fact, I'm actually gonna ask Darcy to come and do a teaching with me. Uh, she has an amazing devotional life and, um, and the way that she does it is really beautiful and pure and the Lord really speaks to her and she's really a big, she journals her prayers. And so I've asked her, I've been working up her courage. If I speak it out loud, now I sort of force her into that role um, and uh, just trusting that God will sovereignly make her do that. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I would love to interview her about her, because we're all different. We're all wired differently, but we all still have to take in the same truth, the same word. Uh, there, is, there is this reality of, of reading that, that Jesus himself said four times, have you not read? One in four Christians say they never read the Bible. 
but it's our spiritual food. We wouldn't go without eating our meals, at least we shouldn't. And if you can read the Bible in 71 hours and the average American takes in uh, that much television and social media a week plus, like what, what's, what is the holdup? I believe that it's a spiritual lens that the, the enemy um, blinds us to it, makes us believe a lie that it's too difficult to understand, too dry. There's nothing in it for us. Uh, but Jesus said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Also, there is studying. 2.41, Acts 2.41, it says, they continued steadfastly, the early church, studying the apostles' creeds, apostles' doctrines, and fellowship, and the breaking of bread and prayers. They were committed to one another, to breaking bread together, to prayer, and to studying the word together. And study is different than reading. Studying is taking the time to begin to understand the meaning of the text and to, and to begin to, to pour into it in a way, Lord, I want to understand you. But studying isn't, isn't something done in isolation from the spirit. I often say that the spirit can't bring to remembrance what we first haven't put into our heads. I was one of those students in school who thought that if I could get an A on my test, I should pass my class. But what I discovered is that I was actually a really horrible student because I wouldn't go to class. And if you don't go to class and you don't do your homework, you're going to get an F. And I think that this is one of the things I'm like, I'm like, it's so hard for me. I'm like, the issue is not the Holy Spirit. He's a perfect teacher. It's just that you might be a crappy student. And then we have to ask ourselves, like, where is our discipline? Where are, we, where are we spending our time? What are we giving our minds to? Because the spirit is there ready to help and to illuminate. And I would say whenever you go to study the scripture, pray that first prayer. Jesus, open my eyes to what it is you want to say. Holy Spirit, teach me. Help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. There is memorizing Psalm 119, verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Putting the word into one's heart. Uh, I, I read, this, this, uh, read this biography once about Vietnam vets who were captured and one of the ways they survived uh, in being captured and tortured was they had memorized. It used just to be a normal part of like your Christian upbringing was to memorize scripture and how much they, they hated it when they were kids, but when they were found themselves in prison, it was the thing that kept them alive. Uh, I, I read an, another Romanian um, uh, pastor uh, who wrote a series called Sermons from Prison where he would utilize script, he kept himself sane in isolation by uh, Richard Wormbrand. Uh, he kept himself uh, sane in isolation by just reciting scripture and writing, speaking sermons to the cell wall. Uh, and really, really powerful. But there is something about letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. There's something about allowing the spirit to bring to remembrance what we've already hidden in our heads. And I think that finally we need meditation. Meditating is something beautiful, it's very personal. Meditating is musing or communing. And that's the thing is that this is about communing with the living Christ. To meditate on the word, to take it with me. Lord, your word isn't a magic eight ball. Your word is, is a continual pointer to your presence in my life. 
And do you not need his presence in your life right now more than ever? How crucial is the word of God in this time? I just close with this verse, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The scripture purifies us, instructs us, strengthens us, enlightens us, and informs us. And we cannot afford to go without it in these days because it leads us to the one who on your worst day is crazy about you, and that's Jesus. And this is why we're here. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word and its power. And we ask this morning that you would fill us, empower us, draw us to yourself. We need you today. We thank you for your love and your grace. Amen. And if you guys would stand up with us, we're going to close service with a few more songs. Um, I guess I'm just speaking too loud. I've never done that before. Um, remind you that we're going to take communion after these songs. So if you didn't grab communion on the way in, um, you can take a second to go back to the check-in desk and grab communion. Um, and also prayer will be available in the rotunda during these last songs. If you need prayer for any reason, there will be some staff and elders back there. And they'd be happy to pray for you. Will you come?
On the night of Jesus' betrayal, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke the bread and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And, he, and I just like to say that Jesus broke, his body was broken so that we could be made whole. And as he went to eat it, he could not get it out of the wrapper. <laughs> I know it's complicated, guys, but it's still a beautiful thing to be able to take communion together. <laughs> so it's hard not to, I have to make a joke about it every time. It's, it's impossible for me. Uh, but I take very seriously the body of Christ. So let's eat in remembrance of him. Likewise, he took a cup and he said, this is my blood, the blood that is spilled for the forgiveness of sins of many. Drink this in remembrance of me. It's the blood of a new covenant as it says powerfully uh, in 1 John that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. That means what it means, past, present, and future. We have been forgiven and in that forgiveness, we have new life, resurrection life. And so let's drink in remembrance of him. And Jesus, we come to you right now and we thank you for the resurrection life that we have in you. And it is resurrection life because you tasted death for everyone. You entered into the human experience, our sinfulness, our brokenness, and you who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. You died upon the cross of Calvary as the sin bearer of the world. And yet on the cross, you conquered sin, death, and the dominions of darkness. You resurrected, you were resurrected from the dead on the third day. And Lord, you have ascended to the right hand of the Father where still to this day as we await your return, you are sending your spirit to dwell in the hearts of redeemed men and women like ourselves. May we be your witnesses to the ends of the world. We need you in this day. Give us a hunger for you, a hunger for your word, a hunger for your mission. We pray this in your name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great day.